0: This is a News Laundry and Rolly Pulse podcast examining the news media landscape. Rolly Pulse is a digital initiative by Rolly Brooks.
1: Hello everyone, I am Chirat Thakkar, commissioning editor at Roly Books and you're watching this in collaboration between roli Pulse, brought to you by Roly Books as well as News Laundry. This is our specially curated video series on the media landscape in India and you're watching the third episode as part of it. If you haven't already, please go press the bell icon and subscribe to Roly Books and News Laundry on YouTube where you will find the other two episodes on the television news panel that we've been doing and also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The print media in India has been one of the most dynamic, versatile, and populated world of newsmakers and opinion leaders across many Indian languages. The kind of respect, credibility, and circulation figures that print publications in India had traditionally enjoyed now, many would argue, seem eclipsed by the mobile phone revolution with greater access to the internet, change in production, easy formats, and real-time dissemination that the digital revolution has ushered the question then that our panelists today will try and attempt to answer is whether the print world is ready for the web or whether this crisis is here to stay moderating this specially curated media series for roli pulse and news laundry is abhinandan Sekri. and we've got a bit of an alliteration at work here uh, abhinandan is going to be in a conversation with two anands uh, anand nath and anand goenka Anand Nath is editor at the Caravan magazine and executive publisher of the Delhi Press Group of Magazines. Anand Goenka is executive director at the Indian Express. Abhinandan Sekri is co-founder of News Laundry, a reader-supported independent news media organization. So welcome, welcome to
0: this discussion. Abhinandan, why don't you get us started? Thanks, Shirag. Welcome, gentlemen. I can refer to you as AG and AN, I think just so that we avoid confusion of the Anands. So uh, let me start with A.G. of the Indian Express Group. Um, print uh, seems a little more obviously more um, ready for, for the digital space because, you know, most of the digital content is read. Of course, there's video, but not the way, you know, the broadcasters have it to these satellites and big studios and stuff. However, um, I want to, you know, focus on the policy space here. And and how much of a disadvantage is print on? <clears throat> now, for those of our you know viewers who may not know, the FDI limit for print is almost half of that the FDI limit for broadcast. But we talk about digital India, we talk about convergence. Is this fair? Is this sensible according to you, Mr. Goyanka? The FDI limit on digital or on print? On, on print versus broadcast because now both print and broadcast are heading to digital, you see. And so, digital also has an FDI limit as we know now. I mean, I'll come to that. Uh, yeah, it, so... It has been announced in a press conference. It's not been notified. I, I, I'm not sure how defensible that is in, you know, as far as fairness goes, but yeah. but for, So,
2: I think, yeah, I think the people who have already started, uh, I mean, there are a handful, really, who have already started, uh, you know, foreign investment on digital. Um... You know, I'm just saying names, but like I'm guessing something like a Daily Hunt. Uh, you know, the other kind of people who actually have something to worry about because they, you know, they are these huge. I mean, they, they need big sort of bags of money to keep uh, to, to to keep going, I guess. Um, and and that is typically going to come from from foreign. So so I think that's uh, otherwise from a from a traditional news dissemination perspective, I don't think there's any real. Uh, you know, change uh, with with FDI on digital. So in print and on uh, and on TV, there is a discrepancy. Is it fair? Is it unfair? I mean, you know, these are all in a sense, you know, why isn't news on radio at all? Uh, you know, so I think these are all just kind of things that, uh, you know, the legacy, uh, it's just, it's just a, a legacy call, I think. I don't think there's any like proactive sort of thought gone into what sort of to do with it or not to do with it. In my view, I think, there is enough investment and there's enough there's enough energy, effort, and money in news in India. I don't think we are in that sense, as an industry, have a major shortage of monies. Uh, I think the problem is it's not the almost always the wrong kind of money that's coming into the news space. Right. Uh, uh, so I don't know whether whether opening up FDI limits will, will, will make the money that comes in news space any better than it. Then you know there is today. I think that the idea, you know, of pedigree, you know, money, which is really for, you know, clean only for the news, not for some kind of a side benefit of the promoter or, or the investor. Um, I don't know whether opening an opening an FDI and increasing FDI limits in print will necessarily you know make that happen. Um, so I honestly I don't have a very strong view on this. I don't think it's a very proactive decision. I think it's just kind of
0: the floor. It's just yeah, the... I, I, I have no hesitation. I think it's a lazy and ill-thought-out decision. I'll come to the and why I think it's not really um, fair or uh, even sensible. Right. But, um, an, uh, I mean, what I'm trying to say is, like, broadcast had a lot of bigger cost in traditional, you know, legacy media. You had these big studios. You had satellite uplink, downlink, OB vans. You had all these expenses. So fine, you can say. Broadcast needed more money, so therefore you have a higher FDI cap for them. And print didn't need all that. But today, both print and legacy broadcast are competing. The valuation is online. It's, it's, not, it's not anywhere else. So do you think one needs to be really revisited? Uh, I think uh, I'll sort of
3: concur with uh, Anant here that the problem, as I see, is not is the major problem is not uh, lack of money being invested, uh, you know, or availability of money being invested. I think if you're talking about policy policy issues that we need to sort of delve into, or that we need to grapple, FDI could be one of them, sure. Uh, but I mean, I, I know this will change the course of the conversation you know, right at this point, but there are other bigger policy issues that we need to be sort of uh, handling. And since we're talking about digital, the biggest policy issue that we need to be, uh, we need to have an articulation, and a, a sort of a fight, uh, articulation of the fight is, of course, the big battle with the uh, aggregators and the platforms. And what kind of policy environment are we creating for publishing to survive in an age, in an age where we are so dependent on advertising revenues, uh, which are being cornered, um, a lion's share is being cornered by these aggregators. So I don't know if this, this is the point we want to dive into that conversation, but I would say that no, is a bigger issue. And that is what is going to sort of uh, inform the sustainability of publishing in India, especially you know independent publishing whether, whether by legacy publishers or by new publishers, irrespective but fDI is not the first thing that comes to my mind as, a, as 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 something that we need to sort of throw away behind. They are much more important issues, and you know
0: I'm guessing you mean everyone from the daily Hunt ha- the daily hard to even I mean, would you consider google an aggregator or would you consider you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, yes. uh, uh, Go- platform so uh, a do you think they need to give you are you are you on any of these news aggregators by the way uh, so uh, yeah sure i mean
3: i mean google and facebook are
0: worse i mean all that, of us you are, are you, you on know, daily uh, aren't, news we
3: so used to be we just severed the relationship like a few months ago because we realized that there's nothing that we're getting and you know that content is also i mean we know we didn't know what was happening there uh and uh so yeah, when when we say social news aggregators, we're talking about of course Google, Facebook, News Hunt, Twitter. I mean everything, uh, possibly everything uh, that one can think of. And the larger issue there is that how do you sort of uh, both create a mechanism where there is monetization of revenue, uh, monetization of content, and also in a way that your the content that you're serving, uh, you know, it's not being deprioritized uh with you know with some of the content which is a very dubious value i mean these are the issues that we, the industry is sort of trying to grapple with and these are not discussion points only in india these are in fact global discussion oh.
0: points ag are you on any of these uh, daily look, bar- We are. no look we
3: are and
2: i think you know right from day one i i i, uh, I think i finished nine years in february so for eight and a half years i've been at the express now and uh, formally at least and uh, Since day one, I've always tried to come and, you know, uh, not fight change, kind of embrace all these platforms and see how we can work with them, get benefited, you know, uh, find ways that silver linings that we can grow as an institution, you know, with them. Um, I think by and large, my experience has been a little bittersweet. Um, You know, when Google started up, for instance, they always said we're a search engine, we're going to give you traffic, you just have to sort of meet parameters, whatever you know now more than 50 percent of google search results don't link outwards right more than 50 percent google search results are, are are inside so i think most of these platforms are you know also i mean as we all know now which we probably didn't know eight years ago or we didn't recognize eight years ago these are these are you know just corporations they are just you know uh, ruthless corporations like, like like everybody else although you know uh i think they all try at least they want to do the right thing but uh, at the end of the day they are bound by by profit and loss in there. and they are going to make you know decisions which are in their strategic interest uh, so it's been a bittersweet uh, experience, but i've always tried to kind of partner and you know sort of work with them so we do we do have a relationship with daily hunt we do have a relationship with uh, facebook and google of course in shorts uh, in shorts as well yes we do but it took a while uh, it took a while before and it took a lot because you know, the thing about InShorts is um, not only did they, uh, you know, summarize the article that Express or a Hindu or whoever would write, uh, they, A, they would take the photograph without asking us. So that was serious theft. Um, B, that summary would be wrong often. Uh, you know, and that if that summary is wrong and they say source Indian Express, not only have you stolen my photograph, You've also ruined my credibility because you have summarized it incorrectly. And the user has not made that out. So we had a major issue with them. Uh, I think I think they've made significant improvements. Uh, you know. And I mean, obviously, there is a commercial arrangement to it. So,
0: so I think you're one of the few who's relatively gentle on them because I've spoken to several other uh, large publishers and uh, they have a big problem, A, with what you said about their editorial... Yeah. processes are not robust and journalistic enough. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, uh, if they are sh- getting a major share of any commercial upside, they should also share any liability that happens. and news is always; it is one of the few industries which is always under the threat Absolutely. of a pushback from whoever you're reporting on. Absolutely. And this has, uh, I, and I can, you know, tell you various people who have shared this with me, but you know, in shorts so or other aggregators will push back on that. They said, no, we, we, we are not news reporters, so therefore we do not share in liability. So, uh, you know, to make this relationship work, a, um, Anant from the caravan, A, what do you think it would make take to make this relationship work? Or is this a relationship you, as a platform, are not interested in at all?
3: Uh, no, definitely we are inter- interested in all such relationships. I mean, these are, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they are distribution channels. Uh, and they they, while you know, at one point we might say that they take away revenue or they make revenue on our content and share a very small part of it, the other end is of course they give us eyeballs, they give us customers so they, they, they are a necessity nobody is uh, sort of dis, uh, disputing the the value they bring uh, to a digital ecosystem yes, I think uh, these are questions that, uh, that again uh, are fairly nuanced questions that okay, what is the extent of liability they should be taking uh, how should they be, because you know, if you were to compare with the offline world uh, where there was a newsstand uh, and they, they were distributing your magazine or newspaper, uh, would you impose the liability on them uh, for distributing a magazine with, let's say, libelous content? Uh, no, you would not. So the argument might be why should a Google or a Facebook or somebody else have uh, a liability? And to that, the response is A, like in, in case of in, in shorts, if of course, you know, there's some, anybody's playing with your content or summarizing in, then there is a liability for sure. But other, but for even Google and Facebook, they are not simply distributors. They are also making an editorial intervention. Their algorithms are prioritizing prioritizing certain kind of content, uh, de-prioritizing certain kind of content. So they are, they are sort of putting in some kind of a selective judgment, which is sure machine driven, it's not a human run, but at the end of the day, as a system, they are sort of, they have a stake in sort of serving content. Uh, They are making a decision. So they should share some amount of liability. Now to say that they should be equally liable, I think will defeat the entire purpose because then you know, the natural reaction would be that they will just, you know, they will step back from serving any content which is of value. Because tomorrow we might have a defamation suit of something which we have published, which is thoroughly fact-checked, but it still doesn't please somebody and they might file a defamation against us and also uh, make Google pay for it. Now that won't be fair, you know, because uh, Google has not done anything wrong by serving our content. Uh, however, if they are serving content which is uh, which is of dubious value, then, then you know, so, so it, it's not, you know, they, they need to sort of um, create a mechanism where publishers, which have a certain repute, uh, whether new publishers, whether it could be a single blogger also, they are given certain kind of differential treatment. And I think this is where it's, it, they, we enter a certain area of vagueness. What is that? I don't think so. anybody has a very clear answer. We all know that there should be some involvement, there should be some liability, but nobody wants to say, or not many people want to say that they should have the same liability as publishers. I think this is where uh, this argument enters a very, you know, thus far a vague uh, vague territory.
2: What do you think? No, I think that, you know, the problem is as publishers, we haven't made, I guess, been very clear about what we want from them, uh, uh, you know, either. If you look at what's happened in Australia in the last couple of weeks, I don't know how closely you've been following, but the Australian government has kind of stepped up and said, now look, all 80, we, we, we don't know, I don't think they've terrified the numbers yet, but they've said a majority of the revenues that Google search is earning in Australia has to be shared with the publishers. Yeah. Now that's a huge, like, and now who's stepped? the Australian government has stepped, and I don't know, uh, I, I, I'm not following the market that closely. Um, I don't know the relationship that the media companies have with the Australian government. Uh, it sounds very much that the Australian government acted on their own, in a sense. Obviously, I'm sure there was representation, etc. But it's not like, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a situation where, you know, media and government are like best friends, or you know, it's not like, it's not quite like that. At least, uh, in Australia, you know, there is definitely some, some, there are definitely boundaries there. So for the government to come in and, and make that statement is, is the government recognizing the fact that there's a lot of value that journalism brings to the to the reader, to the country, to democracy, et cetera, et cetera. So they want to protect it. Um, so I, you know, and just yesterday, you know, F- Facebook called the government's bluff and said, you know what, we, we'd rather not have any news on our platform in Australia than to, to, to share revenue and to figure out how to share revenue. Uh, Google seems to have been m- more welcoming and more understanding and encouraging. Similar things have happened in France. So again, back to what Anant was saying, You know, there's a lot more in policy that needs to happen working closer with these platforms. And genuinely, I believe there is some, develop, there is some growth. I think platforms do want to find a way to make it work, but I just don't think anybody knows how uh, quite yet.
0: So, I mean, I, I want to stick to policy, but I just want to approach it from another direction. Since you mentioned Australia, I had actually quoted them in one of the discussions I may have done at the Media Rumble. They also have, in fact, I think they were the... Latest to update it, like I think um, USA has two out of three. I mean, depending on the market, you can either have radio and print uh, and not television. Or you can have television and print and not radio. Right. Uh, whereas in UK, the rule was uh, uh, 30, 30% 30 of 30% in the sense that if you have 30% on the market, then one party cannot have more than 30% of the ownership. It has to be slightly more diverse. Yeah. Australia also had a restriction on the ownership structures of print, broadcast, radio. When? Theirs was updated in 2001. Now, of course, yeah. I don't know what the status in 2020 because the whole idea, all these policies were from broadcast, print, and radio. Now we are in a stage where there is, you know, the much-awaited convergence, convergence that we're talking about. And that brings me to the first point. When everyone is finally competing for the online space, everyone will have to re-look at policy. And while, you know, you guys are established players, you know, you have huge history, legacy, credibility, and pedigree. But FDI is important for new players. I mean, at least for someone like me. And like you said, otherwise, it's all, you know, dubious money that is offered to you. Some MP will offer, you become a sidekick. Now, you don't want to do that, right? You don't. And that warps the market. Now, in a market where large corporate houses use media as their... Lobbying or marketing division. So, if you have like a you know, 2000 crore turnover, soccer road up, your marketing budget, even if it's a loss, doesn't matter. But people like you guys who are in this to do a good job and to make it sustainable, the market has walked. So, you see, here the market does not mean that it will have efficient allocation of resources, best price discovery, all the good things that the market is supposed to do. In such a case, how can policy stabilize this? I mean, Surely neither of you can compete with someone who says, you know what, I don't mind wasting three hundred crores a year as long as it, it it I get my you know oil deals or my mining deals or my other deals. How are you gonna compete with that?
2: Well I the only way to compete with that really is to is to really put the reader in the center. And you know, these again sound like platitudes we've been talking about all in our industry, but you know, the reader really needs to recognize, you know motivated journalism and an independent like really independent objective neutral or you know at least transparent journalism sure. and uh, and I think it's a I think the digital world helps make that realization come faster I mean just you know and I, I'm not saying that you know the digital world has helped um, you know it, I'm not that, I think I think it's still not clear how much digital has helped Journal. I think that actually this. This crazy, you know, transparency, so to speak, uh, in the digital space has actually reduced the trust in general. Poirism. Uh, exactly right. Um, so, so I don't, but I think in I think over time, and look, you know, I'm 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 you know I'm I'm looking for that, you know, the for for the olive branch to kind of hold and sort of you know find that uh, the optimism here. But, but I do think that our digital growth specifically, and even now the Hindus, you know. Um, they they, got, they were very late to start a digital space, but I, I think it shows that there is a very genuine need and interest for credible news source of information. So I think they, I think the, I think over time audiences realize that, and so the audience has to therefore reject that motivated media that you were talking about. And I think they, I think over time they will.
0: Uh, Anand from the caravan, but isn't policy supposed to make it a fairer play here? I mean, we can of course, what uh, you know, express Anand said is valid and it's very true. But surely, that is the purpose of governments. Otherwise, what is the use of governments if they can't provide level playing fields in a fair environment?
3: No, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the government's key role uh, is to provide a fair market for any product or slash service. Uh, and that comes through right policy making. And in, in the market of news, that means that you create an environment where, uh, where there is a fairness at play. Now, unfortunately, in the digital space, and there's a you know, point that Anand touched upon that has digital... Uh, ecosystem really helped publishing or has it adversely affected in the whole and there are a lot of uh, you know a lot of uh, voices and enough with enough reasons back that which are pointing to the fact that actually you know what in 20 years uh, digital transmission has actually uh, been gone against the cause of independent publishing because uh, while it might have given you access to a much larger audience but uh, it has also come at a cost of you losing a your print uh, audience which used to give you money Uh, either through subscriptions or through advertising uh, and uh, replaced it with sure enough a larger number of readers but they don't give you money because a you're giving them content free b advertising there these three guys are keeping or two guys are keeping uh, amazon facebook and uh, sorry facebook google and maybe now amazon Uh, so on the whole it has worked against uh independent publishing now this is where the government needs to step in for sure and that's what all of us are sort of hoping that whether, I mean, there are so many proposals out there, uh, maybe invest, initiate a competition commission of India inquiry into Google's uh, and Facebook's uh, pricing of advertising because they are monopolies. So maybe impose some tax on them that this revenue has to be shared with publishers. Uh, initiate an inquiry. Again, we will we will sort of reach a point of vagueness where we don't know what exactly to be want in t- intangible form. But we know that we want a government support. We need public policy to sort of evolve to that. We need public policy to ensure that uh that there is some uh, ownership of or uh, responsibility of content that uh, uh platforms serve uh, you know on these are all related issues and of course the final uh, aspect is uh, government advertising that you know uh, you know which is a big you know it's a huge chunk of money which in a sense is government uh, subsidy to the print i mean in fact yesterday i was reading some report and um, uh, they sort of uh, uh, given, a, given a spread of, you know, public funding of news and, or funding of news from government. Uh, and it, it was mostly in the Western, uh, you know, Western context. And the country where government uh, support to news, whether in form of either tax subsidy or advertising or any other concession, the whatever, postal logistics and all, the least is in US, which is maybe a few dollars per capita. And the highest is all the Scandinavian countries, Norway, Sweden, Denmark. Uh, so clearly, I mean, there's a reason that, gov- I mean, I think government needs to sort of look into the way that they are supporting generation of news. And of course, it comes with a certain strings attached. I mean, government advertising comes with a certain strings attached to it. I mean, those are that's also the danger. So policy, and that's where maybe, you know, a fair policy framework. There was a case of 2014 or 12. I remember where it's a Supreme Court common case, common cause judgment, where the Supreme Court had observed that all government money in terms of advertising needs to be equitably shared with all publishers sure. It doesn't mean that you know same amount of money to all publishers same amount of money with respect to your circulation sure. now, that's not being done a large share of that money is being confined with big publishers and the small ones are not getting anything so these are all policy measures that the government needs to proactively take to make sure that there's a fair environment for publishers for publishing for journalism so uh- yeah
0: Mr. Wangka, weigh in on that, and also, what is the incentive for government to actually want to look at that, and why? Yeah, they? so
3: I think a couple of
2: things. Right, like I firstly, I you know, I don't think. Uh, I mean, I don't think government should look at the advertising in print media or any media as a subsidy. Uh, I think you know there. I uh, <laughs> we spoke about this yesterday, right? Like, I think that there is an audience that consumes news. Which is crucial for government, for voters, for active, the active engaged citizen is the perfect target audience for government, state government, political parties to be advertising on. So I think, uh, and the idea of, say, for instance, government, you know, the, the uh, uh, tenders that the government puts out uh, these are all crucial and well-established ways around the world of, of showing independence, of showing transparency in governance, etc, etc. So I don't, I think there's a, I think, I, I, I don't know, I don't think it's dole. I don't think it's a subsidy. I think it's something the government needs to do, should do. Uh, and you know, they also calculate the ROIs on it. I don't think they just do it because they, you know, they 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 have to. And you know, we know the media that actually gets pressured by it. We know the media the media that that that, that has been independent of it and, and you know and that has been independent in spite of it. So, you know, I think I, I wouldn't I would first caution that. The second thing, Amranan, is what you I think had raised and what Anand was saying. Anand was talking about policy coming in and talking. You know, to find a more equitable way of distributing, you know, how Facebook and Google impact the publishing industry. Perfectly, you know, valid and, and should be done. But your question of saying that, you know, if some if if a giant corporate wants, you know, if a giant corporate has interest in whatever water and they want to come and you know, they want to create their own media PR firm which is getting into water, government should step in and prevent that from happening. You know, the problem in our industry is that we are very allergic to government doing anything. That's kind of the nature of our industry. Now, suppose we were in the, we were in the healthcare industry, we were manufacturing masks, you know, and somebody who makes bad masks that's actually going to affect somebody, you know, just produces a bad way. Yes, government has to step in and say, this is bad for you. And, you know, you can't do it even though it's been subsidized, etc. Et in our industry, we don't want government coming anywhere close to us. Because if they start getting in and saying this is appropriate, it's not appropriate, we have a major issue with that, as we should. And government shouldn't be stepping in. So I'm just drawing a distinction between the two kinds of, you know, uh, uh, policy. Yeah, although know. I mean,
0: just to clarify, I don't think the government should or has any business stepping into a day-to-day. That guy's doing this. I'm saying the policy that is made. I mean, the canvas that is prepared should optimize equitable fairness, level playing field. They cannot interfere on the day. Like the problem that I raised, hmm. I don't think that's a solvable problem. Right. I mean. I, I don't have a solution for it, but I don't think a government can step in and saying, oh, you cannot do a story on mining because you have mining interests or on in water or on oil or whatever. Of course, you can't do that. I completely agree. Yeah. And I'd rather have a compromised media than one that is dictated by the government. But the policy of how you get your funding, for example, on digital, which hasn't been notified yet, they made a press conference, and I'll tell you why. Because if you say there's an FBI cap on news, on digital, what is the incentive for any digital player to register in India? And how will they prevent anyone from registering? It's just a website. absolutely yeah yeah yeah
2: so, they can register in Singapore and publish
0: bad policy. So I mean, in that sense, the the framework itself seems a bit uneducated. Yeah, yeah no, actually,
3: I, I again maybe just second the point that uh, Ananth had made a while back that uh, media is I mean you know any media any publishing house will always have some you know it's, it's quite possible that they have some bias or the other uh, you know uh, and a bias of a big corporate is. it's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a legitimate bias to have. I think at the end of the day, I mean, you know, back in in 1900, 1850s, much of American newspapers were funded by political parties. They were political mouthpieces. Uh, And that has been the tradition. You know, media has always been funded by, has generally been funded by various interests. And you know, it will, that bias will show. Therefore, you have to leave it to the reader to sort of decide, you know, which newspaper, which magazine or which website are they following? And over time, uh, you know, over time, uh, over time, they are the ones who should make this decision. Now, where social media or aggregators or these platforms, sort of ending being a spoils end up being a spoil sport, is uh, they end up serving a certain kind of content uh, based on readers' past behavior. Sure. Right. So as a result, you are just served more and more of that. You know. So therefore, you are not. Allow- I mean, that word. The architecture of serendipity you know the fact that you discover news that you were not looking up for like when you open an express you know when i open an express in the morning uh, i just don't uh, see the front the top lead story they, i mean you know you discover news that you were not looking for and that is the beauty of the traditional model that you while you were reading something that you were looking for sports page or celebrity gossip or hard news but you also were served other news which was of you know good public importance The digital media is not allowing that. It has broken down news into each, you know, single atoms. It is serving to those atoms. It is further serving new atoms based on what you have read before. So if I, I mean, you know, if I'm in, let's say, the American context, let's say, you know, if I'm a Republican and I, you know, digital media knows that I'm a Republican, I will be served more of Republican news. They will serve me more Republican news. I'll become even more Republican. I mean, it's a certain cycle. This needs to be broken. I mean, you know, this is where we need an intervention that, you know, you need to allow news to be discovered. You cannot uh, You cannot hold a reader. It's not good for society where a reader is hold prisoner to a certain algorithm. You know, this is where we are sort of are leading to some kind of a problem.
0: Okay. Um, now let me come to the credibility of media. Uh, do you think, uh, you know, we touched upon this briefly in the, you know, the Reuters report that they've come up with. Uh, you know, Anant from Caravan, I, I don't know whether you read this no. report or whether it's even been released yet. which Reuters has done on in 40 countries on various parameters on how digitization in the digital world has, has impacted news, you know, whether it is from the point of view of consumption or news production. So they found that in uh, US and a few other countries, the leading source of fake news, and they, these are polls carried out of news consumers they find as politicians, like news platforms come a distant third or fourth. In some small European countries, it is, you know, number one, they'd say a news platform, but in the larger news markets, politicians are the leading source of fake news as per these polls. In your view, and, uh, you know, Express Ananth, you go first. The credibility crisis, a, is there a crisis because and the same poll when it comes to COVID, everybody is suddenly looking at news. Yes. Their life depends on it. Absolutely. But when you have to quote some shit to win an argument, then you're willing to quote any nonsense. Yes. I thought, I mean, of course, I didn't bring it up in the discussion, but I thought it was very interesting that when it comes to COVID-related consumption, suddenly established news brands Everything are the ones, is. ones that everyone's going to. Yes. When it comes to regularity, then you are going to spokespersons or whatever. Yeah. Is there a crisis? If there is... How does one reclaim it? How do places like Caravan Express reclaim yeah. that we are authoritative, credible voices?
2: I, mean, I think just being consistent, is there a crisis at all? I think, you know, again, and we're at an early stage, so I, I, I think audiences are recognizing, I think exactly this, right? The fact, I think Corona shows that there is respect and there is, uh, you know, there is, um, there is an understanding of credible source and a motivated source. I think Corona really shows that. I think Corona showed, and all over the world in the Reuters report, and especially in India, I felt that, you know, the idea of looking for that authoritative source, going into traditional numbers and, and you know, to, to traditional sources of news was uh, was was essentially a demand for domain expertise. was a demand for, yeah, I don't know if you your BJP or Congress, but what is your medical qualification before which I will read your article about, you know, what the risk of my kid going to school is or not. You know, so I think that idea of that domain expertise, am I, you know, that that, that concept, uh, I think Corona already showed, um, is there a crisis? I think it, the economic crisis exists because traditional journalism was owning the platform we could afford to have the number of fact-checking, the number of, eye, you know, the number of sets of eyes that give us more hope that, that the readers understand the difference, the distinction, and that uh, actually, uh, you know, in the long run, the domain experts will kind of emerge.
0: Anant, uh, is there a crisis? And, and if if there is one,
3: what, what do you no, mean? So, I mean, crisis of credibility is, is, is there. We are living in a time where uh, so much is, uh, uh, you know, so much information is being peddled uh, and uh, people have become more, I think, sensitized to the fact that whatever you are being served online, uh, you know, at least within certain sections, people are getting more sensitized. Uh, that this, you know, you check the credibility of the source. I think this is, again, where a place where uh, some kind of a policy intervention, some kind of a regulatory mechanism can fasten the process. Uh, you know, uh, simple things like when a news uh, is uh, served on uh, my Facebook page or my Facebook feed or on Google, is the source of information very clearly uh, highlighted? I mean, you know, there have been these debates, you know, if you, if, you, if you highlight that it's from an express Uh, And if it's in three-point size, you know, people will only look at the news. They won't see what is the source. But what if a regulatory environment says that, no, you have to give the source at a certain size. So, therefore, when you're reading a certain news, even the headline of it, the source is visible. It's it's bundled. It's not, you know, the problem is that a lot of people have been consuming a lot of fake news without really knowing it's fake news because they were just looking at the superficial layer. Uh, I mean, the other day, I was just watching uh, some documentary about uh, the Trump, uh, the first election, and this guy had, in, had gone and sort of interviewed a lot of Trump supporters, reading the Trump mind. And a lot of people were giving a lot of theories on why, you know, Trump, uh, they believe in Trump and their, their reservation against Hillary. And when, he, when, when you ask them, okay, you read this online, but you know what source it is. Most people did not know the source. They didn't even bother to question about it. This is 2016. I mean, we've come, come some way from there, but there's a lot... Still a long way to go where news outlets with a certain credibility and therefore news out- outlets per se, the source of information has to be clearly displayed so that people are able to make a better decision on what, what content are they serving. And second point about politicians, I mean, I guess the other thing about politicians is that a lot of politicians globally, especially a lot of big, tall leaders, have completely bypassed the traditional media in terms of communicating with the readers. I mean, Trump doesn't need much of American liberal media for sure. Uh, neither does, you know, I mean, our prime minister also directly communicates through Twitter and is, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't need media now. Digital media has allowed the politician to be directly in touch with their constituency, which is fair. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but uh, somewhere there also highlights that, you know, there is maybe an erosion of trust in media per se. That's why they're directly, you know, uh, you know happy to be, uh, you know, happy to have a direct channel with the, with the politician it points to the same same problem that where is the credibility of news
2: erosion of their trust in the media but it, yes. in fact it's only created more trust on the constituents now if the media is responsible yeah. because you know you need somebody to say what you know what is being said is right or wrong
0: okay great so i'll just ask this one quick question and if we can get two three minutes each on this now um, this question is about how much of an impact does media actually have on whether it is policy or whether it is an outcome of political or even geopolitical events. Now, (laughs) as we're recording this today, there has been some kind of violence on the Indo-Chinese border and lives have been lost. Uh, We at News Laundry had run, you know, a show last week that even if the Chinese and the Indian government did not have any ax to grind, when you have five channels Saying, dikha diya ye cowards hain, diya, ye ho gaya. Now, if I was a Chinese embassy watching these channels, I'd say, you know what? I don't have a problem. But if this is what is the perception that media is creating, let's, let's go there. Does media have an impact on outcomes, whether it is a policy or governance level or at geopolitical level? levels? or is it just noise and entertainment that's happening who would like to go first
3: uh, i'd like to believe definitely i mean that's why we are here <laughs> that's why we do what we do i like to believe that uh, you know uh, uh, whatever is published whatever is the news we are reporting or the commentary i mean it has an impact you either you by way of information or by way of uh, provoking certain thoughts definitely is an impact but is it how what the strength of the causality if uh, is is it very strong? No, sure it and it can't be strong. It's too much to expect that you run a series of camp, uh, you know, uh, a news campaign and things will change it, uh, overnight. I mean, no, obviously that won't happen. But I think it will become a very cynical world if we think that it's not, <laughs> you know, it uh, doesn't have an impact. impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, you I know, just just to that point, just because you you, you touched upon that point about. Uh, uh, nationalism in 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 media and a nationalism in the sense of the jingoism. Right. Uh, I think media is very very guilty of of, of uh, provoking of invoking nationalism, uh, not just in India globally. I think uh, you know it's it's a very well recognized point that nationalism, any kind of nationalism, whether it's religious or ethnic or, it is as much a product of popular media, mass media, as of any politicians because. Who carries that message across? Who carries that message across with a certain slant? And in most cases, nationalism is a problem. You would see mass media has been an instigator for that. Whereas you might think that, okay, mass media should be actually questioning nationalism. But in practice, mass media ends up promoting nationalism in many places.
0: What do you think?
2: No, I think, uh, look, I think... I think if you, you know, I I would never concede that we don't have impact. I think we have a huge impact. I think we have disproportionate impact, actually. You know, especially in the Indian context, right? Like, if you look at the English media, disproportionate impact compared to the reach of, you know, a a, a Hindi news channel. Um, So, I think, you know, I think gone are the, you know, at one point we used to say in UK that the sun would decide who the next prime minister is. You know, Mm. Uh, so that, I think... That era, I think, may have passed in most parts of the world. Um, but I think that, you know, for us to take up issues, to raise the right issues, if the issues are correct, I think, you know, there is there is there is proof. And, you know, I mean, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, you will see there is profound impact. Of course there is. And, um, and you know, as governments mature, you know, I mean, today we have lots of young leader. I mean, young guys in like, uh, you know, with a limited amount of experience in their position all over the world. You know, you know the leaders are not, they don't. They haven't. They haven't matured with you know and gotten the kind of thick skin that, that we have seen before. Uh, but as they kind of do mature, I think they. I think they. they respect that. I think uh, you know they. They. they appreciate. Uh, they appreciate the impact that media has. Uh, they may not admit it because it's popular for them to hate on the media, but but I think they do appreciate. I think they do recognize the profound impact that the right argument, the right uh, voice, and the right issue being raised has.
3: So, uh, yeah, if, sorry, if it didn't happen, then they wouldn't really bother for for us. I mean, you know, uh, the reason they go after uh, publishers, journalists is because they have an impact. I mean, you know, so yeah, you know,
2: I think this is this is the one thing I think Washington media could be in a little bit, uh, you know, a bit of a trap because I, you know, and I and I'm I'm standing. I feel like I'm it's a little um, unfair to say this, but you know, the amount that I've been reading the the Washington Post and the New York Times, specifically these two papers. Uh, yeah, I think with this whole the idea of the digital subscription, the 17 million, you know, uh, morning podcast listeners of of the New York Times morning podcast, and I, I don't know, what's the what's the last uh, total subscribers for New York Times? Uh, I think it was six, four, four, four and a half million. No? I think three six million. it.
3: six million? Okay, um, yeah, yeah, I think four, four, to, million, four to six million somewhere there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some.
0: No, no, much more, right? I think much more than six million. No, you're anyway, paying subscribers. Paying, you're not two subscribe to the newsletters and stuff. That yeah, that that is way, way higher.
2: Paying paying New York Times subscribers. Four
3: and a half to five million. I
2: don't Five million, million, million. million. number, eh? yeah, I, 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 yeah. I can't remember yeah. right number. I can't mean, remember I, 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 I thought it was much bigger. Um, Oh, that's a big number, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you add it up, it's you know the revenue-wise, it's it's certainly a big number. Yeah, so I think what's that that media focus? What's happening is that you know it's pushing these guys more and more to to a particular side, um, and that gives more ammunition to the to the to the unrepresented political leaders to hit on them because they're like you know if, if I if I hit on the New York Times, I'm get I get more popular in my constituency in my voter base. I think that's a trap. I mean. Uh, who who are we to say? I, I you know, uh, I'm sure the, the these companies are much smarter than we are. And they know what they're doing, and the proven mm. you know, but, but I think in the long run that's a trap. Why? I mean, you know, you you will never see in anything a pro. It's very difficult to find a pro Trump article in New York Times and the Washington Post getting virality. It just never happens. Even if there is, even if it's done. I think that uh, idea of either deciding that we're not going to be objective, we're going to to be partisan and take a view uh, and, 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 you know, fire from one sort of pillar. um, I think that hurts the brand of independent journalism in the long
3: run. And, I mean, you know, just to, I mean, sort of, you know, take it on a local news. I mean, one is the national news, but actually where the biggest uh, cost of uh, demise of independent journalism Uh, is, uh, you know, at the local news level because that's where you keep the local uh, government in check and local, you know, and I mean, that's a big problem that at least the American news system, I mean, not so much an Indian news system is sort of facing yet because it is still robust, at least for the time being. But that's where, you know, the number of local newspapers that have shut down in the last five to eight years and the impact it has had on transparency, accountability. There's enough research out there which shows that, you know, the demise of local paper has led to uh, demise of, uh, you know, Compromising uh, compromising transparency and accountability in local governance.
0: Like I just quoted there's a podcast of NPR on exactly this that you spoke about. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yes, yes I yes, that. There is. But, uh, well, I I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing that there is a disproportionate impact of news on policy and governance because then I'm not sure <laughs> what to look forward to when I see an overwhelming amount of news quality. However, I just checked the New York Times paying subscribers are $5 million Five okay. point uh, eight 5.8 million. So it's yeah, just okay. But the number of subscribers to their newsletters and podcasts are way, way much higher. Yeah. So uh, well, thank you, gentlemen, for making the time, Anant and Anand. and uh, thank you, Chirag, for putting this together. Uh, we shall continue this series with another perspective and look on the news industry. Until then, keep watching. Bye.
3: Thank Thanks. you.